Welcome to Songs of Praise. We hope you enjoy the Christ-centered songs and that it brings healing to your soul.
Come thou fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy praise Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Thou my vision Pleased you have joined us on Songs of Praise, brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.
is coming a day when no heartache shall come no more clouds and the skies no more tears to dim the eye all is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore what a day glorious day that will be what a day that will be when my jesus i shall see and i look upon his face the one who saved me by his grace when he takes me by the hand and leads me to that promised land what a day glorious day that will be there'll be no sorrows there no more burdens to bear no more sickness no pain no more parting over there and forever i will be with the one who died for me what a day glorious day The one who saved me by his grace When he takes me by the hand And leads me to that promised land What a day, glorious day that will be And I look upon his face The one who saved me by his grace When he takes me by the hand And leads me to that promised land What a day, glorious day that will be Showing us here. 
Psalm 66 2. Sing to the glory of his name. Offer glory and praise.
shall come with shouts of acclamation and take me home what joy shall fill my heart then I shall bow in
We hope you are being encouraged to see the goodness of God on Songs of Praise.
eternal day. There Christ, the Son, forever reigns and scatters night away. And I am bound for the promised land. I am bound for the promised land. No Come and go with me I am bound for the promised land When shall I reach that happy place And be forever blessed When shall I see my Father's face and in his kingdom rest I am bound for the promised land I am bound for the promised land Oh, who will come and go with me I am bound for the promised land He did. He died on the cross to 
I can tell the world about this. I can tell the nations I'm blessed. Tell them that Jesus made me whole. And he brought joy, 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 joy to my soul. There's a church in the valley by the wildwood. No lovelier place in the dale. No spot is so dear to my childhood as the little brown church in the vale. Oh, come, 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 come to the church in the wildwood. Oh, come to the church in the dale. No spot is so dear to my childhood as the little brown church in the vale. Ding dong, ding dong. How sweet on a clear Sabbath morning to list to the clear ringing bell. Its tones so sweetly are calling. Oh, come to the church in the vale. Church in the wildwood, oh, come to the church in the vale. No spot is so dear to my childhood as the little brown church in the vale. As the little brown church in the It's been a pleasure to have your company here on Songs of Praise. We here at 3ABN Australia Radio wish you God's richest blessings. Today, in 3ABN Australia Radio's book reading, we are continuing Banish the Night by the late missionary pilot and pastor Len Barnard, read by Clive Nash. The book is set in Papua New Guinea and is broadcast with the kind permission of Pacific Press and is available in print and digital editions online. Chapter 18. Andrew Stewart, A Missionary Again It was time for a series of meetings throughout my area. These were planned well ahead, since both subsidised workers and other members who would attend often had to walk long distances over mountains and through valleys, carrying sufficient food for the duration of the meetings and the return trip. These difficulties did not deter the people from coming. They loved the services and the pictures projected on the screen, and the periods between meetings become social occasions which brighten the drab New Guinea life. After loading the aircraft with Dorcas clothing, soap, camping gear, etc., Paul and I climbed aboard the Andrew Stewart. Ligon Valley showed patches of sunlight, but the mountain tops that flanked the valley pierced the clouds that settled above them. Taking off, we circled for height in the valley and then headed toward Porgra Valley, where we knew hundreds would be waiting for the special weekend meetings. It soon became evident, however, that not only were the ridge tops and peaks covered with mist, 
but clouds poured through Pogra Valley Pass, obliterating all treetops and flowing downward along the treacherous air currents. Not a glimpse of the valley could be seen. No hope from this direction. Me know enough along find him road along this fella half. I am unable to find an entrance this way, I said to Paul. Although normally a man of boundless courage, Paul rarely enjoyed flying and readily agreed to try another route. Farther down the Ligam Valley was another approach to the Pogra Valley, known as the Bad Weather Route, where the pass was only 7,000 feet high. We headed there, the jagged peak jutting up from the floor of the narrow valley in the vicinity of this pass made it easy to locate. Circling near this prominent landmark, I saw that there was no place below for a forced landing. I was grateful that our dependable Continental engine kept purring without missing a beat. It was soon obvious that clouds had settled into this pass also barring passage. As I continued to circle, I prayed that the Lord would open the way so I could meet the waiting people. As we gained altitude near the pass, we discovered a distinct pathway through the clouds and followed it. Once over the pass, glimpses of the valley below allowed me to fix my position every minute or so. Now the important question was whether or not the airstrip was open. Being at the high end of the valley, it was probably shrouded in the mist or obliterated by rain. But we flew trustingly on, the sky still being clear at our level. Finally, almost over the strip, we were looking for it intently. If we could not land in two minutes, we would have to turn back. Paul saw it first. Place policy stop, he shouted. And there it was beneath us, with neither rain nor mist to frighten us away. I sighed with relief and thanked the master pilot. Me please too much along looking face belong you, chorused the waiting workers. Only a short time before, they told me, a plane had circled overhead and returned. No sooner had we taken our goods to our mission station near the strip than clouds closed in and rain poured down. We are told of the one who maketh the clouds his chariot, who walketh upon the wings of the wind. His strength is in the clouds, with snow and vapours, stormy winds fulfilling his word. Time and again, while flying for the Lord, I have found a pathway through the clouds leading me where duty called. Sometime later, our second mission aircraft was ferried from the United States to New Guinea via the Pacific by two gallant pilots, Wayne and Darrell Fowler. While it was being modified at Garoka, I took Wayne to Ligham in VHSDA so that he could see firsthand the value of aircraft in our mission programs. As we approached Wabag and continued into Ligham, mighty tropical storms lashed the mountains and swooped into the valleys, but skirting around these we were easily able to reach our destination. But ahead, toward Porgara, a gigantic storm completely obliterated the mountains and valleys. We could see only ominous clouds above and dark water beneath. On landing at Wabag, I learned from a missionary friend of another organisation, we had received the message through their own radio hookup, that one of our workers was critically ill at Porgra. It was necessary to pick him up and take him to a hospital. But in spite of the urgency of the case, 
prudence dictated that we wait until the savage storm had spent its fury. Two hours later, at five o'clock, we took off to assess the weather. Toward Pogra, the heavy precipitation had ended, leaving only several storm cells which were moving westward. There were still patches of rain, but these could be avoided. We flew between clumps of cloud toward the high end of the valley, intermittently catching sight of the mountains below. This allowed me to pinpoint our position. Nearby, Mount McNichol reared its craggy head 12,000 feet upward, so we climbed to 13,000 feet and saw the sodden summit between clouds. Three minutes later, we were flying over the head of Porgra Valley. Circling masses of cloud, we suddenly saw a gap stretching right down to the valley. Cautiously, we descended, leaving over our shoulder a way of retreat. Water was cascading down the sides of the strip, and every stream was a torrent. We found ourselves in a large pocket of clear air centred over the airstrip. Down the valley, about 500 yards from the runway, a vertical wall of mist rose right from the ground till it lost itself in the storm clouds above. It looked as though a huge hand had swept the mist and clouds away from the landing area and piled them into a huge heap. Our workers were exuberant when they saw us land. Hope had vanished when they saw the big storm invade the valley. We loaded the sick man aboard, shook hands with our faithful band, offered prayer and flew away. Within an hour, the patient was under skilful medical care at Sopas Hospital. Despite early problems, mission work in Porgra Valley progressed steadily. When the evangelists first went there, they found a serious shortage of food caused by the slow rate of growth in such a high valley. To procure what was needed, the leader several times had to walk half a day down the valley to a lower altitude and carry food back. Besides this, the first leader, Kaipe, lost his home and few valuable belongings when his hut was accidentally burned. The mission thus established in sacrifice was now bearing choice fruit. Since my early walkabout, five new stations had begun to operate, and more recently I had dedicated three new churches. One of the first converts was a leper who had been treated at the Wabang Government Hospital. While there, he consistently attended church at an Adventist mission. Upon returning home, this exuberant man won his wife and daughter for the Lord. His feet were crippled by the ravages of the disease. Nevertheless, with the assistance of other villagers, he built a hut and planted a garden. Then he insisted that we give him an evangelist. This we were able to do, and a company of believers was begun in this man's village. Once when on a visit to this valley, I opened the door of my hut and saw several wild men talking excitedly to Paul. Their eyes flashed as they clutched their bows and arrows. I learned that they were talking about a young girl whom we had named Lily because of her relatively light skin. They were related to her and strongly opposed to her wish to be baptized. They said they had arranged for her to be married to a heathen man who was in the process of paying the bride price several large pigs. I told these men that the decision to be baptized was a personal one, and no person had the right to forbid another to take the step. Further, Lily had been examined and found ready to receive this rite, which was to be performed that day. This angered the men even more. One suggested 
that if we paid them, they would withdraw their protests. I informed them that this proposition could not be considered. The last word as they strode away was a threat that Lily would be killed if she went ahead with her plans. I knew this was not an idle threat, as only recently a girl belonging to another mission in the same valley had been killed after her baptism. While we were talking, Lily was standing shyly in the background. She heard every word spoken and understood the truculent attitude of her relatives. Calling her over, I emphasised the peril she faced and assured her I would understand if she wished to defer her baptism. The decision rested with her. Without hesitation, Lily looked up and quietly answered, Me like baptised today, me ready finish along die. My heart was deeply stirred by Lily's earnestness and determination. After a refreshing service of rededication in the church, the crowd of several hundred started down to the nearby stream to say the 18 candidates publicly witnessed to their acceptance of Christ. Lily was one of the white-robed group. Her relatives, still carrying bows and arrows, followed in the rear. A subdued expression of happiness on her face reflected both her joy and her apprehension. Her decision made, she would not turn back. At the water's edge, I reminded the onlookers and candidates of the significance of baptism and urged those who were not church members to follow the example of the group who were now to receive the sacred rite. Lily's relatives, faces giving no indication of inner feelings, squatted on a boulder overlooking the scene. Lord, I prayed, touch their hearts. Then the candidates stepped into the water and I began baptising them. My back was turned toward her enemies as Lily's turn came. Without even casting a glance in their direction, she stepped forward calm and serene. I immersed her in the name of the Trinity and I added a special entreaty that she be strengthened in her resolution and that the hearts of those who planned to kill her should be softened. Although Lily could not safely move far from the mission station after this, she was protected from the threatened evil, and today she is married to a dedicated evangelist. Together, God is using them to subdue cruel hearts. Even Lily's relatives are reconciled to her religion. And I hope that someday, because of her courageous stand, they also will be converted. Tune in again next week for the next episode of Banish the Night, written by Len Barnard and read by Clive Nash. listen to William Ackland as he shares a psalm from his paraphrase of the Bible called The Gift. Psalm 49 is also a psalm of the sons of Korah and is for the choir director. The theme for this psalm is the fool's false confidence. Listen to this, all you who hear. Give attention, all you who live in this world. Not only the lowly, but also the mighty. The rich and the poor shall listen to this. What I say are words of wisdom. What I ponder on in my heart shall give you understanding. I will give attention to a proverb. I will reveal my enigma 
on the strings of the harp. Why should I be fearful just because the days are evil when iniquity is around and behind me? Those who trust only in their wealth, priding themselves in their vast riches, none of these can redeem the life of another nor give God some gold for what he is worth. For the price of their redemption is infinitely costly for a man to live forever and ever, that his life should never cease, and that he should not go down to the grave and decay away. For we can see that even wise men die. In the same manner, the fool and the person without common sense will also perish, leaving their wealth for others to spend. Their secret hope is that at least their houses will always be there, and when they are gone, their dwellings will last. With this in mind, they have given their land their own names. But the fact is that we humans, honourable though we may be, do not endure. We are no better in this way than the beasts of the forest. This is the destiny of the self-centred person and of those who go along with what they say. Just like an old sheep, they are laid in the grave. Death shall destroy them. The righteous person shall rule over them in the morning, and their once youthful beauty shall fade in the grave, far from the mansions they once owned. But God will take me out of the grave one day and shall welcome me into his heavenly home. Do not be envious when someone becomes rich, when they build a magnificent house. For when they die, as they shall, they cannot take their house with them. Their prosperous life will mean nothing then. While they live, they enjoy luxury. For people will flatter you when you do well in life. But they shall surely go where their ancestors have gone. Nevermore shall they enjoy this precious thing called life. A man who has praise heaped upon him but does not have wisdom is no better than an animal whose footprints are gone forever. <laughs> 